the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host Paul Spain. On this second of two special episodes this month, um, we are focusing on the 2022 New Zealand High Tech Awards. I had the privilege of speaking with David Downs, Chair of the NZ High Tech Trust, Brooke Roberts, who's co-founder and 3EO at Shearsies, along with Professor Greg O'Grady, Chief Executive at Alimetry. That was uh, that was great, and I think you're really going to enjoy this chat. Also, I should say, special thanks to all those that actually make the High Tech Awards happen. Uh, there's so many of you from those that attend uh, through, of course, to the organising team, the sponsors, and even our esteemed Prime Minister for her attendance. Thank you to also our show partners, Two Degrees, Spark, Vodafone, HP, Gorilla Technology, Cyclone and Aruba. Now let's jump straight in. David Downs, welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, great privilege to have you on the show. How are you? Oh, kia ora, mate. I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good. I've recovered from the a big awards night a week or two ago, so I'm um, feeling good. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking of recovery, you've recovered for some pretty full-on uh, cancer as well in the yeah. mix there. <laughs> that's right, yeah. I've had a bit of a rock and roll ride for the last few years, but and that's kind of partly why I do what I do. These sorts of organisations I get involved in, like the High Tech Trust, you know, it's about, you know, when you when you come back from what I went through, you try and help others. That's awesome. Lots of people help me. It's a great opportunity to help other people. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I thought it'd be good to to hear from you a little bit about the role of the High Tech Trust and really the the overall NZ High Tech Awards. Yeah. They've been going now for I don't know, a couple of couple of decades, isn't it exactly. now for the awards? Yeah. So and whenever I've attended, look, I'm always just inspired and and just really blown away by the incredible things that are going on within broader tech community here in New Zealand. And through the podcast and through all sorts of other things that go on across the country, we, you know, we do catch some of that, but um, I still don't think that we, we hear enough and that we, uh, that we take advantage of the, the lessons and the learning uh, of others. But I'm, I'm keen to get your perspective on, on how yeah. you see um, you know, it all fits together and what the opportunities are for us as a country going forward. Yeah, no, uh, it's great. Lots of, lots of stuff in there. I mean, so the High Tech Awards uh, started now, you know, 26, 27 maybe years ago um, at, by a group of passionate people who wanted to showcase what the technology sector in New Zealand was doing. And, and today that sounds a bit funny, eh? Because we all know the technology sector is doing really well, very well. Back then, <clears throat> it wasn't. You know, people didn't know about it. You know, it was very under the radar. And in fact, for many, many years through that 27-year period, um, it was about just promoting the industry, trying to get the word out there that there was another sector. It's not just about dairy. Uh, New Zealand's got other stuff going on. <clears throat> but I think what we've, you know, we've well and truly seen that um, problem resolved. I think most people in the country will now realise that the tech sector in New Zealand is one of the most vibrant and dynamic and fast growing. Um, but really, that, that, that's been, you know, the work of many, many, many people and companies Um so behind the scenes of these awards is a bunch of volunteers, and uh, I'm lucky enough to be part of that group at the moment. I chair the um, High Tech Trust, as we're called. But over those 27 years, we've had many, many um, people go through and do the do the work to kind of 
get the industry out there to the point now where we have, as you would have seen the other week, um, you know, 1,100 people turned up. We had the Prime Minister. We had multiple other dignitaries and, and important people, as well as a massive turnout from the sector. And this is one of the things about the High Tech Awards, which I absolutely love, is that at other award ceremonies, people turn up if they're a finalist and maybe they'll get a couple of their friends along. At the High Tech Awards, the whole tech sector comes together. Like whether they're finalists or not, yes, they just love being there and they support the finalists and they've got, you know, you've got investors there, you've got kind of suppliers, you've got um, everyone around it. And it's just a cool celebration and storytelling and, you know, just recognition of success. So there's so much more to it than just winning a prize. It's this whole idea that the sector comes together on this kind of one evening every year. Yeah, and I mean, look, the, the variety that uh, that comes through in terms of the awards every year, there's there's always, you know, to me, um, an incredible variety. And, and yeah. it, it seems as time sort of, uh, you know, passed that we're seeing, uh, you know, much broader diversity as well that's, uh, that's coming through in our tech sector from, yeah. you know, where we were in years gone by where, uh, you know, it seemed quite a, a narrow group were involved in the tech sector, but that just, uh, that continues to evolve, I think, in a really positive direction. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad you noticed that. I mean, that's been actually quite a, a conscious thing for us as the trustees, particularly in the last five years or so, is to really showcase the diversity of the sector. I mean, you're right, the technology sector for many years of sort of white and male, frankly, and um, not not always, not 100%, but predominantly, what we're now seeing is, you know, youthful companies, you're seeing as incredible Māori-owned businesses, these these technologies that are, that are not just sort of computer software, they're, they're deep tech, they're, they're environmental or socially good tech. And so you get up these kind of um, amazing diversity of not just people, but also businesses. And we are really consciously trying to make sure that we showcase the whole variety of the tech sector. I mean, the, the the event the other week was a was a perfect example. There was there was Tareo spoken, you know, <clears throat> quite naturally. There was incredible. The two MCs were women. You know, we just have this amazing, you know, inclusive feeling to the room, which was wonderful. Yes, you have uh, the dignitaries and the people that have been around a long time, and you know, some of the some of the old original founders of some of the biggest companies are there, and the, the sirs and the and the and the and the dames. But actually, you get a lot of these really amazing young tech companies as well. So that diversity is, I think, that's the strength of the industry, actually. Yeah, and it's kind of, um, it's probably going to get quite challenging in the future to find what is a tech company, right? Because we're <laughs> we're in this world where the threads of technology run through every single business. And if a business is doing well uh, or it's innovating, then technology is probably, you know, plays quite an important role in that. And so, um, you know, I think there's, we're going to have to probably, you know, do a bit more work on that storytelling of, of explaining the role that tech plays, because, you know, I guess my personal view for a long time has been, you know, the more that we can leverage the uplift that we can get from technology, the better we're going to do as a nation. Right. Um, And yet it's quite hard sometimes to, to highlight actually that what this company or this leader has done or, you know, this group of people has done, um, you know, a key part of it is the way in which they've leveraged and been innovative with the use of, of technology. So yeah. I think there's there's still a lot more work to, to do on that front. Yeah, and, and you're highlighting a kind of interesting challenge that we, you know, at the trust, you know, there's seven or eight of us behind the scenes kind of thinking about because we're looking at some of our categories, for example, and going, 
it's just really you know some of these are sort of feel a bit like old-fashioned you know best software yeah i mean yes software is a big part of it but it used to be very much easier when you know <laughs> technology was something that used to, was a piece of computer software stuck on a cd or or something and put in a box you know and that was kind of the reward was for that nowadays it's you know there's different business models software as a service models obviously there's different types of tech so there's medical tech you know and innovation we saw you know human health is something that was really focused on a lot in the tech awards just recently um you get this kind of real diversity you know and as i say social and environmental technology deep tech coming out of science but to your point i mean that's the, again that's that's what's so incredible about it you know that in in the medium to long run technology and innovation is the biggest driver of productivity change um and so yes any any business that's growing and any sector that's growing is likely to have technology as a part of that growth <coughs> a big part of it probably um but that's great you know we you know we, we don't want to fight against it you know um this is very much an award uh, ceremony and process around telling stories in a way that that kind of um hopefully inspires others so yeah five you know 10 20 years ago we might have been telling the stories of people who wrote computer software and stuck it on a cd-rom now we're telling stories of you know companies like elementary who who have incredible te technology put on your your stomach that detects whether you've got bowel or gut issues it's like that's kind of out there but wow that is tech yeah yeah and i and i guess yeah that speaks to that that element of the important role that that technology uh plays and yeah what you said about software i mean there probably isn't a large a large company out there in in the country that isn't producing software in in some form right whereas yeah. the these things used to be you know we used to be looking at a software company rather than just at actually at at, at every every company so yeah i think it's 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 really exciting. What do you see as the the role of the high tech awards? You know, what are the opportunities that putting on the awards bring? Yeah, you know, we're really conscious that we've been doing this for twenty seven years. It's the opportunity to recognise excellence. So that's kind of the you know the primary thing there is a recognition program. Mm. But it's more than that. We hope it's more than that. You know, about three or four years ago, we sort of stepped back and did a sort of strategy review and said, okay, you know, we've we've largely achieved the goal of being the place where you recognize success in the tech sector um that doesn't mean we should rest on our laurels we should always you know have the best award ceremony that's the other thing we try and do um it always is awesome by the way just we're lucky because we're a charity we basically spend as much as we can on making it the coolest night with you know with the best food and wine and entertainment and all that sort of stuff but the other thing we've realized is that you know this is also a way to inspire another kind of generation as i say we really have been consciously looking at diversity and how we showcase different types of tech and different types of people that work in the tech sector. And then over the last few years, we've also been really looking at inclusion. And I know that sounds very trendy sounding, but the reality is, you know, there's two big problems that we have in the tech sector in New Zealand. One is um, a talent shortage. You know, we, everyone's saying we need more people. We want more people to come into tech. So we've got to inspire a new generation of people to get into the sector. And the second thing is, interestingly, uh, and a shortage of uh, Maori, Pacifica, and women uh, in tech. And you go, if you step back for a half a second, and you go, actually, don't those two problems solve each other if you do it right? Like, we could have many more people in the tech sector if we were much more inclusive and available to, you know, more females in the in the sector, more Maori or Pacifica, um, and we'd be fishing from a much bigger pond. So, 
so a few years ago, we set up a, a kind of a charitable um, entity as part of the High Tech Trust to, to to funnel some money into getting more opportunities to get Māori, Pacifica and females and neurodiverse people into the tech sector. And that's going really well. So we're setting up an endowment fund. Um, we funnel any profits from the from the High Tech Awards into that and, we get, and we've had lots of other people support it. Um, you know, founders and people who've exited putting money in and saying, yeah, actually, it's a good idea. Let's collectively as a sector focus on two of our biggest problems and um, we'll get some cut through. So that's where I think these awards now, that's kind of their, their kind of co-papa, their, their purpose, celebrate success, but also make sure that we can grow the industry in a, in a very inclusive way. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's really encouraging. I was talking to some somebody uh, recently around a, a challenge that they had with finding the talent that they needed. And um, in their case, they've recognised that there was a, a larger pool of people available that were vision impaired in some ways, whether blind yeah. or, or otherwise. And they thought, well, why? What, you know? Yeah. And so they actually targeted that particular group and uh, and got some incredible talent that had maybe been overlooked by by others. So yeah, you know, I think that there's a there's a lot of wisdom, isn't there, to sort of you know there are stepping groups back. like that. Groups like that all over the place. When you look at it, you know the fact that you traditionally some tech companies would be hiring graduates from computer science programs in university. Well, that's a very narrow pool, you know, and we no longer really need as many people in that kind of deep programmer kind of dev roles we need designers we need engineers we need creative thinkers we need artists you know so you need to go much broader than traditional and to be frank you probably need to start earlier you know don't wait for a fully formed developer to pop out of a university program um go down a couple of layers get some school graduates or get some people who haven't even bothered going through the kind of mainstream learning because you're going to get some real creative types in there and that's basically what you need yeah look i look i've i've certainly seen that over the years that yeah you don't necessarily have to wait for for people to have you know popped out of the university uh system yeah. uh there there can be a you know a lot of people that are passionate and raring to go uh, that that maybe haven't um, you know haven't done that, and in fact that they're, they're so keen to go that they may never do it. So um, you right. know, and you... if anything, and I can say this as a as a computer science graduate myself, did a comp sci degree, albeit a few years ago. If anything, though, university actually tries to drive creativity out of you in the in the, in the space. Don't hate me, the unis who are watching this, but you know, so you actually want to get people who are coming from these diverse backgrounds that represent the audiences or the consumers that you want to buy your technology or use your tech. You know, you'll get, you'll get more creativity probably out of that sort of group of people than you will out of, uh, and you might need the odd, you know, genius data scientists or whatever in the, in the background, but you probably don't need a lot of them. You probably need this diversity. So go diverse. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's good. That's um, great, uh, great discussion. Now, um, anything else that um, you know we can we can talk about as far as sort of maybe where things where things are heading, where you think we're we're heading over the next uh, few few years, and what sort of changes are ahead? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, I would two things. One is we as a um, high tech trust have a big problem on our hands and that it's always hard every year to beat the previous year's awards, you know, like we had the feelers play this year. We had a massive screen, we had laser beams, we had amazing food. 
So every year we're trying to lift the bar. So that that's the first thing is like keep an eye out because we'll keep we'll keep trying to lift the bar on ourselves. But I guess more importantly is you know the the tech sector. What we're realizing is it's part of this broader story of what is it to be from New Zealand. And you know, uh, I mentioned it in the speech that I did at the awards. Is over the last year or two we've been looking at you know how do we tell the story of New Zealand's technology to the world? Because one of the things we want to know we want the world to know is that we're more than just a beautiful landscape or more than a you know a dairy farm um, there's a lot more diversity here and telling that story collectively has a big advantage i mentioned it on the night that you know that it's not always just about um trying to convince people to buy your technology it's actually about showing who you are as people like what do you care for what's important for, to you and the finalists this year and the winners definitely come through you can sort of see the kind of fingerprints of what it is to be a great tech company from this part of the world they are companies that care about the environment. They care about people. You know, they showcase some kind of social um, responsibility. It's actually really noticeable if you look for it that the, the companies that are that are really showing us and you know, leading uh, have got this kind of values-based way of working, and that's really exciting too because I think that's sort of something that marks us out as a bit different than the rest of the world. Yeah, oh, it definitely it definitely stands out, and uh, yeah, I you know that was one of the things that the, the prime minister you know highlighted, and uh, uh, yeah, I think sort of etched, etched in my mind uh, from the awards that maybe I had you know hadn't noticed so much uh, previously. The um, yeah. yeah, I think we're we're certainly a lot more yeah purpose and 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 value. Uh, driven yeah. and I don't know there's certainly a few examples we can look at from uh, um, from the from the US and, and maybe other parts of the world that uh, seem to seem to struggle on that basis so I hope that uh, that's something that that continues for a long time yeah, ahead. Exactly. yeah yeah me too me too excellent oh well thank you so much look I would love to get you back for a you know a full and a broader chat Anytime. in the future uh, David <laughs> but uh, yeah really nice to uh, uh, have you wearing that uh, hat as the uh, the the chair of the uh, uh, NZ High Tech Trust today, and uh, for for your insights insights uh, on the, on the sector and uh, on the High Tech Awards? That's great. Thank you for the work you do, Paul, in highlighting the success of the sector. Too. It kind of inspires everybody to get involved. So. Great stuff. Thank you. Well, hopefully we all play our part. Then uh, you know things just just get better and better. <laughs> yeah, couple. Great. Thanks very much, David. Cheers. Thanks. Brooke Roberts, welcome to the podcast. Uh, great to have you here and uh, congratulations on uh, winning the Zero High Tech Inspiring Individual Award at the NZ High Tech Awards on Friday. Kia ora, Paul. Thanks heaps. So, look, what I'm wanting to do with, with these chats is just to get a little bit of an insight because, you know, when we're, when we're at the awards, if, whether you're watching, you know, folks have been watching the live stream uh, or they were there in person, there's only sort of so much that everyone gets to capture. And so I thought it'd be, you know, great as a, to do a little bit of a roundup and um, you know, hear a little bit from, uh, from the winners. And... Uh, You've uh, you've you know won one of the one of the really key uh, awards and uh, you know lots of other inspiring individuals in, in years gone by that have uh, that have won this one. But um, you know this year it's all about you and I know you you like to be humble and you know just uh, sort of talk about the business. But uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of a um, you know roll back to uh, to you know how you got started in this world of you know business and tech and and leadership. 
Yeah, how did I get started? It, I, uh, well, I grew up uh, in uh, Manurewa in the kind of wop-wops of Tauranga and then got an opportunity when I was 10 to move uh, to the US where I lit, went to elementary and middle school for four years and then decided I wanted to come back to Aotearoa. So came here and got a scholarship to go to a school in Hawke's Bay. And when I was at school in Hawke's Bay, I started to, um, I was always a really hyperactive child and I, you know, I'd get the school reports of, you know, Brooks distracted in class and mum was so used to the parent teacher interviews going, you know, I was always, you know, getting a bit told off after them. Uh, but it was in high school that I found out how to channel that energy and passion. And I, when I started studying business studies and technology, which actually was uh, sewing <laughs> and textiles back then. But I think it was at uh, high school where I started to really be able to hone in on, on, those business and, and creative skills there. And that's where I started to run businesses when I was at high school and uh, really enjoyed that and thought I'd continue doing that, but decided last minute I would go to university. So packed all my stuff in my car and drove down to Te Whanganui Atata, realized you don't really want a car here and had to sell it pretty quickly. But uh, it was it was really great to, to move here. And I thought I'd just come to university here in Wellington and uh, leave straight away and go do my OE. But incredible opportunities kept coming up here with AJ Park and Kiwi Bank and Zero, and then ultimately met the crew uh, of six of us that started Sharesies. And so it's been a really fun journey. Yeah, look, you have have done some fascinating work, and I guess it you know it's it seems sort of looking at the things you've done, you haven't sort of got into those roles half-heartedly you've sort of thrown yourself into things you know a hundred a hundred percent so any highlights that you can you know you can share from those times uh before uh starting sharesies it's funny you mentioned that because I was reflecting the other day going gosh I've always cared so much you know like when I'm doing a role or whatever I'm working on like if I I really care that it's purpose-driven and it's driving a change that I want to help you know create in the world or be part of and so I've always just go all in so that's very true Paul uh oh there's so many great memories I I think one thing in particular that I am really um you know the support we've had has been really incredible in Wellington we've got a really strong tech community here uh from you know the founders of Zero to Trade Me uh you know those businesses kicking off here and and the support that started to and the infrastructure around uh startups and growth companies here has been fantastic for us and we were able to get some great support early on and I really appreciate that to also now being a founder I get uh I've you know it founding journey is always fun and it's great to have uh, six of us as part of the journey but Sonia and I who are two of the co-founders of uh, Sharesies we're in this uh, support network I guess of other uh, female founders and it's just great having that support around because uh, it's really challenging and it's quite hectic when you're trying to balance family and creating a company and de- and you feel like you're dealing with all, all the new things every time. Uh, but really, there's a lot of people who have been through this and can normalize those situations and provide that support and guidance. And so just feel really thankful to, to have a community where we feel like a rising tide floats all boats. And I think that's um, incredible that, of what we've got here in Aotearoa. And so those people that helped you along the way, how did you find them? How did that come about? Because it does, it seems to be quite a, an important part 
of you know of being able to certainly move at the sort of pace that uh, that you've moved at with sharesies to um, you know not only to have a sort of good um, you know base in terms of um, expertise and so on, but also being able to draw on uh, so many other um, you know other people's wisdom and and experience. You don't have to kind of make all the mistakes yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think from working at KiwiBank and Zero, I were and also going to university and the the pool of friends I got there, I think that really helped early on. And then afterwards, I remember early on in my career thinking, or when I was looking at starting businesses, I was like, oh, you don't don't know if you should share your idea. There could be intellectual property there, or you know, you want to make sure it's uh, you know a bit more sorted before you you know go and share a, an idea or something you're thinking about. But now I've learned, actually, it's so good to share those ideas or share those thoughts because typically some, the person you're sharing that with is like, oh, I know somebody else who really cares about that. You should be connected here. Or, oh, I, this person could really support you. And so I felt from that's how the kind of the community started to grow from when you're sharing your thoughts and others are opening up their um, connections or, uh, or or sharing their perspectives back and, and things really flourish from there. And so... Uh, I think that has really supported us at, throughout our time uh, with Sharesies. Oh, that's great. And so walk us through how, how it did come together in terms of finding your your co-founders and that uh, that piece, because it's a pretty important part uh, of the, the, the Sharesies story and I'm, I'm sure part of you know your own story as to how that's uh, all fallen into place. Yeah, it's a very long story and I'll, I'll try and whittle it down. But essentially, Sonia Williams, who's one of the co-founders, had the initial idea behind Sharesies. She was sitting there, she had 50 bucks and she's like, gosh, I wish I could feel like I get, get ahead with this. Uh, I feel like, um, you know, I want to be able to invest in a fun way and, and build wealth that way. And it just felt like so inaccessible. Uh, and then she got uh, connected with my partner or my husband, Leighton, and they're both working at KiwiBank at the time. And Leighton, when he was 17 years old, started an uh, uh, investment club with 13 of uh, his friends, putting away 50 bucks each week. And that started a just savings account. And then the, they were based in Harwater. So the first thing they purchased was a cow <laughs> or, or part of a cow or something. And then, you know, it kind of grew love from it, there. Love it all from 50 bucks a week. And so this is where Sonia's like, well, it is possible. And, uh, and, and then we were like, you know, you shouldn't have to be Leighton's friend, you know, friend to be able to have those opportunities. How do we make that more accessible to more people? And how can we eliminate those barriers completely when it comes to investing and developing wealth? And so um, Leighton and I were actually looking at starting a company with Richard and Martin, who are the also co-founders who are developers. And we were tutoing with ideas in the FinTech space and Sonia and her partner, Ben, who's an incredible designer, uh, we're, we're, we're thinking about these ideas too. So we decided to all come together and create Sharesies. And it's just been an incredible journey ever since. And uh, it, yeah, it's and that's really a bit about how we formed. So we all didn't really know each other well, but a few of us knew each other really well, given that we're partners <laughs> in the business but um, and in life. But um, yeah, it's been, that's how we initially started. But we spent six months doing pure customer research before we even started prototyping what Sheezy's could be. Because we all come around, we all came together around the common co-papa that everybody deserves uh, equal opportunity to grow their wealth. But we wanted to know, what does that mean to people? Do they, they, do they, do they want investing in their life? Are they an investor at the moment? How do they feel about money? And from talking to hundreds of people, we really 
you know, we've really were strengthened by these stories and the real need to change uh, the the trajectory of wealth development here in Aotearoa and and um, globally. So that's really what got us really fired up to quit our jobs and go right into creating Sharesies. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, now, one of the things that sometimes can be a challenge is working out what each person's role is, especially when you've got a, a group of, you know, go-getters that have all got, you know, uh, leadership talent. So how has that played out? Because, you know, you were the, the chief executive on your own. Now you've got the, the three EO model. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm really curious. Yeah. So with uh, Richard and Martin, who are developers, pretty clear what their roles were early on. And they had worked together for ages, so they knew how to split up that workload uh, really clearly. And for our designer, you know, in- incredible skill there. So very clear. Valade and Sonia and I, we definitely have a, a massive overlap in skills too, but um, different different perspectives, which is really important when we're, you know, making decisions. It's great to have those perspectives around the table. But when we initially decided that I'd be the um, CEO, we were in an incubator and they're like, cool, you've got to pick a CEO. And we kind of pushed back a bit about that. And they're like, no, you need to. And so we sat down uh, at a at a local cafe and just had a, a good natter about it. Like, what, what do we need in a CEO? What are we looking for? And essentially, because I was going to be doing a lot of the um, capital raising and, and things like that, that it, it, they thought it made sense that I would uh, take up that role. So... I, I was the uh, CEO, but at, but really it was, I always felt like it was a bit more on paper, you know, in, in principle, Leighton, Sonia and I were the three that went full time straight away. So we were always working really closely together and there was no hierarchy in the way that we worked. Uh, and then I went on maternity leave and had my first child and Leighton and Sonia co-CEO'd. Uh, and then I came back and then when I went on maternity leave again, they co-CEO'd and when I was coming back, I was I really thought we should do this differently. Now we've got, we don't really have to live in that construct of one CEO. We've already proven that co-CEOs work. Why can't we do three EO? Why can't that be a thing? And so we talked to our board and we didn't know, uh, you know, we are part of the board, but we talked to the independent directors to go, well, what do you think about this? They're like, yeah, let's give it a shot. So we trialed it uh, for six months or a year. And now like two and a half years on or so, it's really natural to the way we work. And it really works for us, given we've always worked really closely like that early on. Uh, it, it just it just really works for for us, and I'm so thankful to be able to share that load and um, you know share that araha together and have those really great rich debates, and at the end you know make decisions that ultimately move towards creating financial empowerment for everyone, and that it really drives us. So uh, yeah, it's, it's great having the three O model. That's good. And are there any any challenges that others should be aware of if they're thinking of doing something something similar? Yeah, I th- I I think thankfully, you know, we've worked together now for five and a half years, and we really know each other's strengths, and we're really able to lean into that. So having that uh, is super important. I think even more important than that is making sure not only are you uh, both suit or you're all really clear on the co-papa and really driven towards that but you also share the same values and how you want to work and that's something all six of us founders sat down and did pretty much I think before we even incorporated sharesies was really thought about what type of company we're creating and uh, what we wanted it to feel like at sharesies and what are things we never want to see happen in our company that we've seen in other places and really 
had those robust discussions. And from that, we easily, from all of the bullet points of what people said there, we easily themed up what our values are. And those values, you know, of In It Together, Always Care and Chase Remarkable really drive us. And I think if you're really values aligned as well as purpose aligned, you can have as many debates as you want on how to do things. But if your what and your why is super clear, um, you know, like if you're, if you're really clear on why you're doing what you're doing and, and actually how you want to go about it, then what you're doing can be really well uh, discussed and debated and knowing that you're all caring about making a decision that's best for for um, sharesies and our stakeholders and the impacts we want to have. Do you, um, is there an aspect where it slows you down or um, is it does it just sort of operate as you've always, you know, operated, you know, prior to, because sometimes these, you know, um, what I've seen anyway, my own circumstances is that titles don't always matter, right? And so just just changing the title doesn't, necessarily you know have any impact on how you you know how you're operating anyway when it's key decisions if there's a group of you involved you you make those together a title changes that doesn't necessarily change it has that how it sort of played out for you yeah I agree with you there ways that it's played out beneficially to be fair it's actually made us move faster I'd say because we're like cool you're on this I'm on that you're on that let's go you know and then we share the insights back with each other yeah and we have that trust to go you've made that decision great or let's debate that. Uh, so I think it enables us to move faster in that regard. Titles don't matter, but we did notice pretty early on it did matter externally in terms of if you're invited to present at something or they or when you're dealing with some certain stakeholders, they want the CEO there. So it actually makes us move faster in that regard too because we're like, we've got three, take your pick. And we can kind of share that load, I think, which is great. So Brilliant. in a lot of ways yeah. for us at Sharesies, yeah. we are able to move at a, at a, at a better speed and make better decisions from having this model. Now, for those that don't know, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about, you know, the scale of, of Sharesies now, uh, because I th- it's kind of mind-blowing whenever I see, you know, current uh, numbers about Sharesies growth and uh, evaluation as a business and, and so on. It's, um, yeah, it's quite eye-watering. What can you share? Yeah, so... At Sharesies, you know, we started with a founding team of six and now we're a team of around 230 people uh, who are all driven to create financial empowerment for everyone. We have just under 600,000 investors on our platform, so around 10% of Aotearoa are Sharesies investors, which is awesome. And together they they currently have around 2 billion invested uh, either in New Zealand, Australia, the US, um, or manage funds. So it's it's incredible uh, that so many people now have access to investing and being able to invest however much they want, when they want, and build their portfolio over time. That's great. And um, I saw a, a valuation figure a while back saying that the business is, was it half a billion dollars? Is that kind of the, the current uh, view? That the, Yeah, that was our valuation at our last raise. Yeah, oh, congratulations. That's uh, you know you you're certainly building. Uh, you know it's it's not just the uh, fifty dollar investments uh, now in terms of uh, you know in terms of what you know obviously what you built for um, your own investors and of course you know helping those uh, um, six hundred thousand uh, New Zealanders as well. So uh, it's 
it's really fantastic. So where where to from here? What's uh, what's next for for you, and uh, what's next for Sharesies? Uh, so for Sharesies, we we launched in Australia last year. So there's a lot of opportunity there to really. Uh, create more financial empowerment in Australia. There's so much more to do here. Uh, I remember one of our founders' mums going, oh, that <laughs> really early on, like three months in, oh, that Sharesies thing, that's pretty much done now, eh? You've sorted that? It's like, no. <laughs> I think it's it's go- it's our life's work, really. You know, every, every, we just keep noticing these doors and these, these barriers that are people are locked out of and we just want to open them up. Uh, we're really wanting to support more uh, businesses, uh, supporting their teams, their employees, uh, being yes. shareholders. So that's something that we're focused on. We think it's a really important part uh, for you know anybody working to be able to own a part of the uh, company that they're working on um, when they're listed. So that's something we're, we're really keen to support and passionate about. Uh, along with, you know, en- enabling more and more people to become investors and, and feel confident in building their portfolio and feel confident managing uh, the cycles of the market and, and keeping that long-term view. So that's a lot of what we focus on too. And then, yeah, we've got some new products um, that we hope to launch later this year, which I'm really excited for, uh, but just heaps going on, which is a bunch of fun. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Brooke Roberts, for taking the time as uh, uh, Pleasure to have you here on the New Zealand Tech Podcast and uh, congratulations again uh, on your win at the NZ High Tech Awards. Thank you so much, Paul. Really appreciate it. Take it down all. All right, it's time to talk with Greg O'Grady. How are you, Greg? Yeah, thanks, Paul. I'm great. Look, uh, now your company is a limitry, is that right? Correct. <laughs> I've heard a couple of different pronunciations, a limitry, Elementary. Uh, yeah, elementary is correct. It stands for elementary telemetry, for those who don't know. So it's a, a merge of those two words into elementary. So maybe a little bit of background. You know, what's the what's the history of the firm and and how, how have you got to this current point where at the NZ High Tech Awards you won in uh, three categories, the Taki Taki Auckland Unlimited, most innovative high-tech creative technology solution, the Soul Machines, most innovative deep tech solution, and Endace, most innovative high-tech hardware product. So that, that's quite a, a round of wins there. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks to the judges. It was um, incredibly exciting for the team and recognition of just a ton of hard work that's gone in over the last few years. So to give your um, listeners some backstory, so we started three years ago. Um, we were a spin-out from the University of Auckland, and we build wearable medical devices to non-invasively diagnose gut disorders, and these are really common. About one in five people carry around with them some gut symptoms, and we diagnose those. But, yeah, so, you know, it really is deep tech. So we came out of the university on the back of maybe 10 years of research, really world-leading research on gut um, electrophysiology and actually merged with my co-founder, came from the US, from San Diego, and he brought with him years of research as well. And that was kind of on and off research. It was very serious, but it was really uh, clinical and physiological research. And that's where the deep tech award comes from. There's over 100 scientific articles that went into that period of really world-leading research funded by the Health Research Council and other bodies. And then um, three years ago, it kind of got to a point where it had matured, where we got very excited by the data that was coming out of the trials. 
And it was clear that this had real potential to make a clinical difference and therefore a commercial difference in a space that had been kind of woeful for doctors for a long time. Very hard to diagnose these disorders, a real diagnostic treadmill for patients and really quite unpleasant, a lot of testing that goes on out there at the moment. So we, you know, we kind of merged up, teamed up with Armin Garabans, my co-founder, and we brought our kind of knowledge together and formed Delimitri. And um, since then, we've just been going for it as fast as we can to build a product that will make a real difference. And that's, I think, where the other two awards came from, just the amount of the sheer volume of problems we had to solve, which were really substantial, and getting what was a research kit like a spaghetti of wires and this kind of awful suitcase of electronics into something that's wearable, usable, slick, and actually quite beautiful at the end of the day in a way that's useful to people was um, just an incredible amount of design and engineering that went into it. And I'm just really glad that was recognized by the judges as being significant because our team, you know, they just tore it apart and for years just really solved problems to make that happen. So an exciting milestone for the company winning these awards and an exciting time for the company looking ahead. Yeah, that's great. So tell us what is the, the data that you can draw on and what's the what's the wearable device that, that uh, you know, folks need to wear? Yeah. Is it something that they wear for a long period of time? How does how does that fit together and uh, you know what's the what's the technology sure. kind of piece? Well there's actually kind of five products in one and it is a medical device. So we're talking a highly regulated product in a really tough manufacturing industry to get through these standards and this process of getting it to market. And it's really innovative. So the the one of the most innovative pieces is the stretchable electrode that's placed over the abdomen. It's got a very high density of electronics on it, and that's all screen printed using kind of cutting-edge techniques onto a, onto a stretchable membrane. And then we do this very difficult process of putting these hydrogels and adhesives on top so that it can be worn. Um, and then the, one of the key problems we had to solve was latching it onto a, um, a piece of hardware with the rigid electronics in a way that didn't have a million wires. And we managed to eliminate every wire, so it's completely wireless and, and is completely wearable. So then there's that wearable piece of hardware called the reader. And then as well as that, we have an app so the patient can log their symptoms and that also controls the device. And then there's our cloud server and our algorithms that do all the processing. And finally, the real product that you've asked about is really the report that goes back to the clinician. And at the end of the day, everything else is to enable this report, which is the thing that the clinician and the patient ultimately care about. And that's where we bring through all that data. And what we're doing is measuring, just like the heart has an electrical rhythm and um, drives the muscle of the heart, and a whole bunch of things can go wrong with that. The same is true of the gut, and that can drive symptoms. And so we're measuring exactly the same process of the body's own natural electricity that generates that muscle. And um, we measure that in a way and interpret it with the symptoms into that report. And the clinician uses that to aid in their diagnosis of these disorders. Yeah, I've heard of, of gut issues sometimes, you know, just stretching on for very long periods of time um, and, you know, it just, you know, people getting stuck with an issue but it not able to be, you know, able to be diagnosed or or addressed. How how much do you think Elementary is going to be able to help in those situations or, they're, you know, are there quite specific situations where technology is going to be relevant? Yeah, the potential we think is huge. So as doctors, we're very good at diagnosing um, structural problems with the gut, things you can see with scopes, with scans and biopsy, 
and look at under microscopes and these sort of things. We're very good at that side of the diagnosis, kind of the hardware of the gut. But for the software of the gut, what drives its um, patterns, very poor. So there's been a big black hole there in those, and those disorders are actually more common. Uh, things like uh, chronic indigestion and nausea and vomiting, things that can really disable people's lives, actually, um, some of these symptoms, or just really reduce quality of life. And the diagnosis has been really poor for doctors for a long time. So that's what motivated me to get into this in the first place as a clinician. And that's what drives us today to be in this space is actually solving these really meaningful problems. And so that's where the company's going. Um, we're starting in the stomach. There's the rest of the gut to consider as well. And there's a whole lot of other ideas we have. Um, but it's about getting this um, beautiful gastric elementary product into the market now and making an impact in these gastric symptoms. Exciting. I'm just kind of curious around, you know, what what is the data that you're able to to collect? And is it some sort of, you know, machine learning that you that you do? Are you sort of comparing with previous situations? Or, you know, how do you how do you get to that uh, a report that's useful or is that something that's still quite technical? It, it very much is up to a a very switched on clinician to be able to read and understand? No, it's 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 not. It's relatively straightforward, but the algorithms behind it are really hard. Right. So the secret source in this, um, you know, we've got a lot of patents, but the really hard thing has been those algorithms that pull out this really weak data. So the, the stomach is 100 times weaker than the heart, and so to extract that information and make it meaningful and visualise it, we had um, a lot of important algorithm work that are excellent amazing engineers have, have worked out the way to do accurately and reliably. Um, yeah, so so that's one of the key steps for us. Um, we don't do any AI yet, but obviously um, we've built this beautiful system called Adam, the Elementary Data Management Platform, and Adam is busy um, building the, the data banks for us to switch that on, and our team are, are planning real ways. There's a lot of hype around AI and medicine. People throw it around all the time, product doesn't use it at the moment and doesn't need it, but we definitely see very specific use cases in future where we will hopefully bring that into the product to enhance it. Now, how have you got to this point in time because you've got a team of 30-something people? Yeah. That takes a, a fair level of, you know, funding and recruiting and yeah. uh, all, all, sort, all manner of uh, things to pull that together, and it's all happened you know, in a fairly short space of time since the, you know, the business has been you know, formally founded, obviously there's sort of, you know, 10 years prior to that. Mm. Um, but uh, how has that that journey been and, you know, raising funding and so on? Yeah, it's really exciting. It's a ton of hard work in the building side of things. Um, you know, the the ecosystem at the University of Auckland is is really good now. Um, Uni Services have been a, a wonderful partner in enabling us to spin the technology out and, and get a base. But it's still up to the individuals to obviously make it happen no one else is going to do it for you. We're very lucky to have a founding team who came out of the university with us. And then we've um, recruited out of the university some amazing people as well, some real talent. And then um, we've been lucky to have um, one of our first people join us was a regulatory expert from Israel who brought that kind of very specialist medical knowledge. And Hani from Fisher & Paykel Healthcare who brought a COO level of knowledge for commercial as well. And, and together between this exec, we've been able to build up a lot of specialist leaders in the company as well for manufacturing, because that's complex. Regulatory, the quality system, complex. It's all very specialised. And so we've been lucky to attract a pool of talent who are just wonderful people to work with and 
really driven, really know their stuff and also really fun. So it's been a blast. That's great. And the regulatory side, I mean, to me, whenever I hear about that sort of stuff, doesn't sound like much fun, but presumably there are some people that, you know, enjoy the challenges of, mm. of working working through it and, and figuring it out. Is that a really long, you know, winding, challenging um, path or is, was it, you know, reasonably uh, you know reasonably laid out for you no it was um, you know the average time for a company to get through FDA is about five years and we did it in three and with a very complex product so um, yeah we've uh, eaten a lot of glass to get to get there you know <laughs> ground through it um, but the way to look at it is um, it's it's a must-have in this space it's a highly regulated industry that's the reality and we've embraced that quality system and made it an ally as much as possible to deliver the best quality product we can that has the safest profile for patients. And um, that's our motivation. So um, that's the industry we're in. It's, it's also, um, once you've gone through it, quite a good barrier to competition. It really establishes your brand as one of, you know, we've gone through this rigorous, strenuous process yes. and we've built this platform. So. It's tough, it's rewarding, it's um, part of the journey and it's medical devices. So you're not going to get away from it if you're in the medical devices space. Sure. And now you've gone through that, what does that mean from a commercialization perspective? What's the, the road ahead look like? So it's exciting. You know, we've launched now in um, New Zealand and recently in the UK and the US. So we've got market clearance. That's what it means, market clearance. So you can um, sell. But for us, it's the start. Um, the next challenge for medical device companies is to get adoption, evidence, and ultimately reimbursement for these products so that you can really turn on the sales. And that is also a non-trivial process and requires a lot of um, specialist expertise and, and effort. So um, that's the phase we're in now, and it's actually pretty exciting. The data is coming through really nicely. We just had a paper accepted today into a journal called Science Translational Medicine, which is one of the major medical journals in the field. So we're getting that kind of um, traction around that evidence now that will build into adoption later. And um, we've just signed on our first US um, major hospital as well. So, you know, it's happening, but the thing is in medical devices, again, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a, it's a journey. And as a clinician, you know, I see this side of it as being the most important. If, if we can convince ourselves that this is really filling a need and we show that through the evidence, then it will get adopted. It's that simple. And then it will get reimbursed and paid for according to our business model. So that's the pathway and it's exciting to be in, in this phase of it now in market. Yeah. So with the hospital you mentioned who are who are on board, how how do these sort of early relationships work? Because, you know, you're you're new and yeah. that brings with it probably some exciting things, but also, you know, I imagine there's a level of um, you know, of unknown for anybody that sort of you know partners with you so how do you bring those those folks on board do you have to sort of incentivize that or how does mm. how does that tend to look so we're lucky in elementary in this respect because this is where that deep tech that science foundation um really matters because healthcare it moves at the speed of trust it really does yeah. and you can't force that so um, we have this track record of scientific excellence. We're the world leaders in this space. And so being able to then present a product um, 
you know, to people actually I know at a personal level, a lot of them being a clinician and someone who's researched in this space and, you know, um, on the editorial boards with them and so on in the past as well, um, has a degree of credibility and reputation that we've earned and is real. And so that's a lot of our brand in the medical space is building on that credibility and delivering now the next um, iteration of this, which is an actual product they can use. So um, that's the deep tech of Elimitry that I think the judges saw in the award as well and um, that hopefully will be the plank for us to commercialise on as well. Yeah, yeah. That's exciting. So, you know, where to from here? If we if we were to look sort of, you know, five or, or ten years out, what sort of, you know, what is the what is the potential, uh, you know, in the market, things things go go well in terms of, you know, people and, and revenue and, and so on. Anything you can yeah. you can share on what well, that could look like? The vision is pretty simple. We want to be standard of care and we want to be in every hospital in the world. And so um, that's the path we're on. And um, we're going to make these devices in New Zealand. We're going to grow a company in New Zealand and we're going to deliver on this um, science ecosystem as kind of birth delimitry. And so we're going to deliver on that in New Zealand as well. That's the vision of the company that we're committed to. Um, there will be future products, but this one is our focus at the moment. We see the platform, though, as providing future opportunities in the gut. Um, it's currently gastric telemetry. It's a diagnostic done in the clinic. There's a lot of other possibilities that could be done on this, but we're not getting ahead of sales yet. We'll just get this one going and then hopefully build a really sustainable, profitable company that matters with a purpose. Yeah, oh, that's exciting. And lastly, are you looking for uh, staff at the moment? And you know, what what would you be looking for? Yeah, we are. We're hiring maybe four holes at the moment um, in New Zealand and also in the US. So we're in looking for customer success, operations, engineers, and manufacturing. We're looking for a get a product and community, um, and we're going to have other opportunities in um, clinical liaison roles that are coming out as well at the moment. So we'll have a careers page up on our website. Um, we have a a super awesome culture at Elementary of people who really love working there. Um, so yeah, look on the site. If you're looking for a job, approach us. Thanks for the pitch opportunity there. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, um, all the best to the Elementary team, and um, yeah, thanks for uh, for taking the time, uh, Gregor Grady, to uh, to share a little bit about the company. And uh, yeah, very excited to uh, hear how things progress in the future. Yeah, thanks, Paul. It's been great, and just to note to say thanks for our team who earned these awards and you know it's real recognition of how much effort they've given and care and dedication into this product yep i hope you'll be having a um a good celebration uh with with the team yeah. if you haven't already Got started a couple of that bags of champagne from the awards <laughs> night which may or may not be open on friday we'll see i did i did uh, i was was chatting with um uh someone uh we were sort of sitting outside the doors and he was like well, did you notice there's a whole lot of people walking out with bottles out of the awards, and uh, we hadn't, uh, yeah, hadn't clicked that that was, uh, yeah, there was some, there was some uh, obviously uh, uh, champagne being given out. So uh, yep. he, he wondered whether someone was uh, pilfering a few bottles. <laughs> I think they were earned. I think they'll enjoy them too. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Greg. Cheers. Well, thanks everyone for listening in to this special episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, then I would suggest you follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're uh, a podcast listener in audio, then of course on the likes of uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
uh, Google Podcasts and so on. Uh, if you're more for the videos, uh, then of course you can uh, can find us in the, the varying places that we stream. Uh, LinkedIn actually probably is the best, best place if you want to get access to uh, the, the live uh, streams that we do. And you can follow myself, Paul Spain, there uh, on LinkedIn and also follow NZ Tech Podcast there. Uh, we're also across on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. All right, well, thanks again to our uh, supporting partners for the New Zealand Tech Podcast, uh, Aruba, Cyclone, Gorilla Technology, HP, Vodafone, Spark, and Two Degrees. All right, catch you on the next episode. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.